And this is our plan of attack. Banks have become an essential threat to our democracy. So consider this justice. Thank you for listening to Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com, the number one listener-supported radio station on the Internet. Please help support this station so this battle can continue forward. Revolution Radio! Extendivite really worked. Just listen to what some people have to say. Several years ago, I was developing a very uh, severe situation. I called it my flippy heart. It just was doing not good things. And I did not want to go to a medical doctor because uh, I just knew they would give me a cover-up pill. I didn't want to get onto that sort of thing at all. When I learned it was garlic and cayenne, and cayenne is a healer. It is a wonderful herb. I said, I think I'm on to something here. I'll tell you, I wouldn't be without it. It did wonderful things for me. Extendivite is only $69.95 for a two-month supply of either capsules or liquid. Call now. That's 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com. Extend your life with opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host. Sacred Matrix, a divine paradigm of love and universal consciousness, with your host, Janet Kira Lesson and Dr. Sasha Lesson. Together, we transform the world. And now, here are your hosts, Janet Kira and Dr. Sasha Lesson. Revolution Radio at revolution.radio and I'm your host Janet Kira Lesson with my co-host Dr. Sasha Alex Lesson our producer is Thomas Becker and this is Revolution Radio and we have two very special guests with us today Andrew D. Bishago and Michael McIntosh and um, let me tell you a little bit about each person. We're not going to go into great detail. I have a full page listed on AquarianRadio.com for those who want to go and check it out. And um, so Andrew DiBishago is a leading figure in the truth movement. And he is best known for revealing publicly his life experiences as one of America's First-time space explorers and Mars visitors. He's a lawyer, writer, public speaker, media personality, former U.S. chrononaut, and 21st century visionary. 
And Andy is um, running for president in 2024. I know it's a bit early, but uh, now's like now's the best time to talk about it. And we're going to talk about his involvement in um, DARPA's Project Pegasus and the CIA's Mars Jump Room program. And down to Michael McIntosh. He's an American musician, minister, international businessman, builder, statesman, the veteran. Uh, former Obama administrator, advisor, former U.S. chronaut, and uh, Mars teleportation program pars- participant, remote viewer, and extraterrestrial contactee. And he is running for the president of the United States in 2024. So we brought two of these people on today to talk a little bit about these issues and what's going on. And I wanted to bring on Dr. Sasha Alex Listen before we bring on Michael and Andrew, and I'm getting a lot of feedback. How's it going on your Okay, I I can't quite hear you. You're you're kind of echoing. Can you hear me? No, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. Everybody who ain't talking needs to mute. That's the problem. Okay. So if you're not talking, mute. Okay. Okay. Go ahead, honey. Okay. So can you hear me now? Okay, so it, I find it interesting uh, to think of the universe as uh, uh, from Talbot's idea of a holographic universe where the fractals of everything is in everything. And uh, so that uh, it's very interesting. So our guests talk about their experiences in the jump room and time travel. Uh, let yourself feel a part of yourselves that uh, vibrates. With that, with that kind of experience. And you can allow this confluence of experience to grow within you because you've got a fractal of, of Andy and Michael, uh, within you. But I would just like to say a word about, uh, cause I've, uh, I'm trained in whether people are remembering things and how they are doing it. And so I've actually been able to experience Andy and I can tell you his, he is telling you what he saw. I have taken all the professional uh, measures and he's telling you what was real. I'm telling you. Okay, so that's my introduction. Okay, so how I want to do this, and I'm still I'm getting a lot of feedback. Um, I might uh, sign off and sign back on again for a second here, but let me get through this first part of the show. Oh, I would like to bring on Michael. And well, first of all, I want to do a little sound check, but I want to start with Michael so he can. Give a little bit of his background because most of us are familiar with Andy's background. Andy's been on our show a dozen times and been on a lot of uh, a lot of media over the last twenty years. But um, Michael's kind of new to this whole field, and I'd like him to come on and give a little bit of his background for about ten minutes. And so, let me start with Michael McIntosh. Hi, Michael. Hi, Janet. You're coming in loud and clear. Good. Um, so give us about five to ten minutes of who you are, how you got involved with extraterrestrials, and how mm-hmm. you got into this um, Mars teleportation program and jump room and all that stuff. Okay. Um, okay. We'll, we'll listen for about five to ten minutes. Go ahead. Well, you're asking very uh – Firstly, difficult things for me to remember, to, to be completely honest, as a lot of this started very early in my childhood. Um, you're talking like age five. And I come from 
a sort of very heavily military connected family and background. Um, multiple, gener- multiple generations of military in, in different countries as, as including the United States. But, um, let's see. When I was five, I was living in, uh, with my parents temporarily in Western Canada. My dad was working there and that was when I first encountered extraterrestrials and indeed, um, top secret government projects. Almost within a, a few months of each other, I encountered both. And, um, I was heavily memory suppressed after uh, these initial encounters and didn't fully recall them until really only a couple of years ago um, when I I was recovering from a car accident and I was endeavoring to sort of delve into all of the trauma that I had experienced in my life to figure out why I was having certain recovery issues, basically. And this led me to search out all kinds of information as to why I could have, what I could have experienced that led me to not be fully healing from the trauma, um, my life trauma after this car accident. So this is, this is what led me to somehow stumble across the research of, uh, our other guest, Andy Bashago. And, uh, it, I don't know if he even recalls, but we, we ended up having, uh, conversations via social media and indeed on Skype where he, he related to me his experiences. I was using another name at the time. I was using an alias uh, as I, I tend to online for security reasons, but, um, and we haven't spoken in a couple of years. It, 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 we were talking for a little while, like a couple of weeks, maybe, maybe a month. And he related all of his experiences to me, um, with the Mars program and time travel. And I found it to be really interesting. Um, and having been over the course of my life, sort of a, uh, you know, someone who has, shall we say, explored very sort of unorthodox views of the world and the universe. I I was very open-minded to the possibility, even probability, that he was telling me the truth because I I understand quite a bit um, by by nature of my curiosity about the universe. But something more happened and... uh, Andy talking to me actually triggered memories, what I believe to be memories. And I question this heavily for months. Um, but after doing some more sort of regression therapy to figure out if this was actual memory that I was having or if I was just creating memories or, or what was actually going on, I came to the conclusion that I had actually experienced some of the same things that Andy had and indeed um, been part of some of the projects that he had talked about, uh, that he has talked about at great length. And 
I, I do remember um, Andy explaining to me that for some reason at that time period, a couple of years ago, three, two, three years ago, a lot of people who had been part of these projects were only just then beginning to wake up to the fact that they had been because of the heavy, heavy memory suppression that was used to prevent people from recalling any of this. So I'm, I'm still kind of currently trying to access what's really in there in my memory. Um, but I have, I have, fairly accurate memory of uh, some experiences that were early in my childhood pertaining to uh, extraterrestrial contact, the Mars teleportation program, and time travel. And uh, right up to this day, I've been uh, encountered and uh, experienced contact with extraterrestrial beings who have, uh, as far as I can tell, been interested in me since the time I was a child. And um, I believe I kind of, I don't know if I if I'm, have been selected to have been part of some ultimate grand plan or project that they have in mind. Um, but I, I believe that to be the case. And I believe that uh, that, will somehow eventually lead me to being president of the United States in the, in the near future. And, and also Andy. So I, I, I believe you have two future presidents of the U S on the line here, Janet. That's interesting. So yeah. tell us a little bit about your first encounter with the extraterrestrial. What kind of aliens were they? Uh, what was the circumstances? What was going on? The first encounter was, um, I observed a craft. I was camping in the in the Canadian Rockies one weekend with my parents and my sister and uh, some friends of my my parents. And I came out of my tent in the middle of the night and just to look at the landscape and the sky because I had never really seen anything like like that before. I I'm from the I'm from a city. I you know, mostly have lived in the suburbs, which is not very conducive to, you know, about looking at the night sky. So I, I really wanted to see that. And um, so I went out of my tent and looked at the sky and, and uh, I just remember seeing this gigantic craft. It was literally the size of a football field and um, just hovering there, uh, you know, it, it, 100, 200 feet above my head. And as a five-year-old child, I just sort of stared at it and wondered, you know, what is this thing? Is is this uh, some sort of plane or ship, some, something that I've never seen before? And I just didn't really, I guess as a five-year-old, I didn't really think of it as anything unusual because I was only five. I had nothing in my experience to, to compare it to. Um, but so it, it took off, it flew away very quickly, uh, disappeared in, in almost a second. And, uh, that was my first experience with anything sort of out of the ordinary. Hey, Um, if we could jump to the latest (laughs) contact and Mm -hmm. get any kind of a message from, uh, about 
how you and Andy should uh, interact and what the potential of your interaction would be? Um, hmm. Honey, shut off your other computer. I think you're getting feedback. <laughs> All my computers are off, Janet. All okay. of my computers are off. Okay. I, so good. I think well, I mean, I can just sort of look at that from my own logical standpoint. And I was just reading the page that you posted there, Janet. I think it's uh, really interesting. I'm, I'm obviously, well, I don't know if I, if I, if I've made this clear, but I, I'm obviously very much a re- Republican oriented person. And Andy is obviously seeking the Democratic nomination, but we also have a very similar set of experiences. Um, so I think it's very interesting in that we we could work together uh, very easily and uh, work it, particularly to bring the country together because it, in case you hadn't noticed, <laughs> you know, the, the left and right have been at each other's throats for the last 20 years at, at least. And um, I I kind of look at it as though we're in a de facto civil war, frankly. But it's just nobody's come out and said it. But um, I would like to see that end, and I would like to reach out to Andy right here and uh, let him know that I, I I don't want this back and forth, tit for tat bickering and and virtual warring, civil warring to continue. And uh, if he's going to, you know, represent the Democratic Party at some point, I, I would I would like to absolutely see that put an end to and that would be a good place to start yeah i uh, i see sometime in the future we'll we won't have this type of politics and yeah. maybe when they win it'll be one from each side you know <laughs> if you have a republican right. president you'll have a democratic uh, vice president or something right. have to and work you know, together and you know ultimately we're we're all just human beings who want to see the best outcome for our country and ultimately the world and humanity. But, you know, we have differences of opinion and different viewpoints on things and different approaches to solving problems. But, you know, we need to put the the politics really aside and and put the country first and put each other Mm -hmm. first. And uh, I, I, you know, I would like to see more of that happening, and um, I don't see it happening right now with with Trump. I think he's very, I, th- I think he's equally as divisive as as the previous administrations, the previous two administrations, and I think he really needs to change his tone if he's really going to be more effective. And I hope he does, but I I don't see that happening over the next, you know. Well, yeah. I want to I want to get back a little bit to your how you got to Mars, and then I want to go mm-hmm. to Andy. So mm-hmm. let's let's um, what do you remember about like how you got involved with the Mars program? That was yeah the the original involvement. I was I guess six years old, and I was in kindergarten, and I guess I was I, at the time identified as someone with some sort of special abilities or exceptional abilities. I was always kind of a nerd, you know? <laughs> I mean, I, uh-huh. I, I love to read. I could read the newspaper when I was three years old. Um, I, you know, I could, I could play music by the time I was four. I was, I've, I've always been a fairly 
natural musician. I'm good with languages. I can speak like, you know, five or six languages I can get by in. Um, and I have what I figured out later are actually parapsychological abilities, which I didn't really think were anything unusual, but I was, so I guess somehow I ended up on the radar of some government agencies at a very young age. And from age six, I was, I was asked via my kindergarten class by some men who just came into the school. Well, I didn't know who they were, but they seemed like nice people and they seemed trustworthy and like they wouldn't hurt me. So they asked me if I would help them with a project with, with something if I wanted to help, help. And I said, well, sure, you know, why not? Why wouldn't I help grownups? I was a a six-year-old kid and the natural inclination of a child is to want to help grownups. So I volunteered basically um, as a six-year-old to go with them to this, in in this car to a warehouse that wasn't too far from my school. And then they, they sent me via this teleportation device to California from Calgary, Alberta, where I still was at the time. And um, that's where... What what did this device look like? What was it like? Um, Well, I don't know if you've ever shoplifted, (laughs) but uh, I I, I have. In my teens, I (laughs) I got caught shoplifting, right? So when you're walking through the the security devices at the at the store and you have the the tag that goes beep 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 when you've stolen something or didn't pay for it it looked kind of like it looked kind of like those things that you walk through <laughs> that's it that, okay. that set off alarms thank you but you know, my daddy was rich i could just buy it you know yeah well <laughs> good for you I, I come from you know poor white trash background so i i stole stuff i'm not gonna lie <laughs> um <laughs> I stole an Aerosmith CD actually when I was fourteen. And, and go Boston! Got uh, yeah, I got caught. Uh, okay, um, so how did you know where you, you were in California? Did they tell you? I didn't. I, I well, I, look, I, as I've said, I didn't remember any of this until like I didn't start remembering any of this until a couple of years ago. Um, so I kind of this is all just new memories that I've acquired, and I just figured out that that's where I had been. Um, it looked like California, smell like California. I think it was California. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so there I was. And that was the day I, I met uh, Barack Obama. And he was my sort of uh, supervisor, immediate supervisor, I guess. So I went so with him. So you were how old and how old was Barack? And by was, what name did you call him? Well, yeah. we, we didn't. We didn't actually use names because nobody told us. Nobody told anybody whose name was it. No, well, nobody told me who, what his name was. Anyway, I just remember. I'm really good with faces. I remember faces, and uh-huh. um, I can sort of put names to faces later if I if I can match up the information somehow. That's really easy. But so. I remember the face and and the personality of that person, which is, oh. uh, you know, it, it was him. Um, gotcha. So, let's see. Um, 
We went up in this building that I later that I, that I figured out was this building in El Segundo, California. Um, it's now I th- I think it's now like a video game company or something, but or pretending to be a video game company. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we went up a few floors in that building, and there was a desk and some woman sitting behind the desk who I can't remember her face or anything or name or anything. But uh, he we he had to like check me in or something. So he he was he said, "Okay, this is him," and. And she was like, oh, okay. So we went in this like elevator and went up. And next thing you know, we're, it was, it kind of, I could feel like I was maybe floating momentarily and passing through like the upper, I I can almost remember seeing like passing through the atmosphere, the upper atmosphere of the earth and then suddenly being like in this uh, in this cavern like an underground cavern and I was there on what I believe was Mars with Barack Obama and um what made you think it was Mars well what makes me think it was Mars was because later on we went out on the surface and it wasn't Earth I'll tell you that um there were Creatures there that I've never seen on Earth anywhere. What do they look uh, like? Uh, well, there were a few different species that I had encountered with. There was the what you call the gray aliens were there. There was another species there that wanted to eat us uh, that kind of looked like scorpions or something, like mixed with like a dinosaur. It was really, they were very hungry and they were trying to eat How us. Big? How big are these things? Uh, hum, hum, adult human size, probably bigger, wow. actually. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then there were the, so, somehow I linked up while I was there, I linked up telepathically with Martian humanoids. Like I was able to, because while we were there, I was, I between the time that we were in the cavern and went out on the surface, there was a, a, a lot of time lapse. So I was relaxed and I was using, I was asked to use my remote viewing ability to focus on certain coordinates on the planet and a certain time period. So I did that and, and, um, I was there to basically what I what I think was there to remote view the surface of Mars and to figure out what Mars had been like a million years ago and a million that, years ago wow. yeah a million BC and now that that information has now been published by the CIA on their website uh, it's been declassified it was transcribed in 1984 it was recorded by Obama himself who I believe is also uh, has parapsychological abilities and was able to kind of link up to my mind and interpret what I was visualizing. And um, either he recorded that or communicated it to somebody via a you know, communications device of some sort. I'm not sure what the technology they were using was, but uh, 
but he was talking while he was linking up to me. So it was, and it was into something, or maybe it was a tape recorder. I, I don't really know. But so, so what was it like a million years ago? What, what did you see? Yeah, what did I see? Um, I saw that Mars had at one point an advanced civilization on it, and that some terrible cat- cataclysm basically wiped it out. And um, yeah, that's what I figured out. And and that information is is published by the CIA on the CIA website. You can look look it up yourself in Google. CIA remote viewing Mars, nineteen eighty one, I believe. Um, okay, I'll look that up. And it's no, I've got, yeah, but uh, I've definitely, I've got the same mm-hmm. information from Stuart Swerdlow and other people. Yeah. It definitely correlates with lots of other stuff that I've, I've heard. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I mean, I've questioned all of these memories that have come to me to mm-hmm. try to figure out if I'm crazy or I'm just imagining things. If I just want this to be true or, 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 or something, but. I'm telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to the best of my ability. So help me God, and I do believe in God. <laughs> so I I cannot I cannot tell a lie. You know what I'm saying? This is a, like, um, How does all this affect you emotionally in your life? Uh, it's overwhelming at times, frankly, and um, you know it's it's difficult to come to terms with. Especially because, like, so many people think this is insane, frankly. And um, they think I'm insane, probably, for, for coming on the radio and talking about this. And, and um, But you know what? I've been thought of as crazy before in my life, so this is nothing new to me. I, I was crazy when 9-11 happened, and I knew what really happened, like, the week after. I knew the truth about 9-11 the week after it happened, and... I was telling everybody already, and I was crazy then, so I I'll be crazy now, I guess, for <laughs> for, for a different reason. But uh, but yeah, you know, it's but it's also in a in a way I look at it as a privilege to be able to kind of be one of the, maybe one of the first people to help the rest of humanity come to the realization that our history is very different than. Uh, we're taught, obviously, and there's a, a much greater reality to the to the nature of our existence than what people are led to believe, and that's really that's really been the main purpose of my life, frankly, for the last oh twenty years at this point is is to help people um, come to realize the truth, and that's why I became a I became a Christian minister in two thousand. Uh, I I teach, I help people learn, um, and this is what I do. And so this is just another thing to add to that list of things to to help people learn about as far as I'm concerned. Wow. Did you ever have a face-to-face on Mars with uh, Andy? Did you ever see him and, and interact with him? Now, this is where – this gets interesting, yeah, because when I was there when I was six, I do remember two other people came up. Shortly after I had been there with uh, uh, Barack Obama for a little while, and one of them I believe was Andy, was like a, a nineteen twenty year old Andy. That was a, that's a face that I remember. And another one of those people was 
me. It was my like older self. So I don't know what actually, I don't know if Andy has memories of that, but I certainly do. And if he doesn't want to talk about that, that's totally fine. Um, I understand, but I have these memories and, um, I'm, I guess that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to communicate. You're breaking wow. up horribly. I don't know if it's just me. Is, is Michael breaking up horribly for everybody else? No, we hear him fine. Me? I hear him fine. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, sign off and come right back on because I have a poor connection. Go uh, ahead, so, continue. Just, I'm right back. Yeah, so my, Michael, have mm-hmm. you, uh, learned anything in uh, dreams or in theogenic uh, journeys or, uh, further meditation? Uh, um, what's, what's the expansion that you're getting now? Yeah, well, since, since we started talking about this on the air, I actually have experienced more memory recall, what I believe to be memory recall, and other things which I believe might be uh, chronovision, which is an ability that I have where I'm able to see into my own future sort of and, and see future events, but I get them confused as memories, so sometimes they're and sometimes they involve time travel to the past, so they effectively are memories anyway. So it's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know what you mean by theogenic. So if you could elaborate on what that means. Psychedelic, <laughs> what, what happens when a person takes a dimethyltryptamine or lysergic acid diethylamide, they get okay. out of their uh, usual operating ego and can access right. parts of their uh, uh, intellect and beyond that, spiritual yeah. levels of consciousness. Right. Um, well, I suppose having taken LSD already didn't, didn't hurt being able to do that. So, (laughs) um, I had a, had an interesting LSD experience that I'll perhaps relate to you at some point, but, uh, um, a long time ago, (laughs) but, uh, let's see, memory is, yeah, Memory is difficult, especially when relating to the ego, I suppose, because the ego wants to suppress it naturally yes. in order yes. to yes, right. fit in um, with the, I want to yeah. give Andy a chance to talk, and then we'll go back and forth asking each other questions mm-hmm. and see if we can unravel this mystery, because uh, we deal with uh, people all the time that have memories that are trying to recover memories, and uh, there's mm-hmm. confusion, and then there's uh, clarity, and correlations and so uh, Andy are you there I know you've been standing by yeah let, let me say that uh, just as a matter of first principle that you know I've been speaking about my time travel experiences for 15 years now um, and my Mars experiences for 10 years and that it was my goal in bringing forward other Mars experiences and I have I, I brought forward William B. Stillings, Bernard Mendez, the late William White Crow, and Ken Johnston Sr. So I can corroborate the accounts uh, of Mars visitation by those four fellow astronauts. But this is, I, I, I have to acknowledge that I'm shocked. Shocked because I know this individual. He contacted me two or three years ago using a different name. That's correct. 
And what was that name, by the way, Michael? Um, remember what it was? I don't I remember what it was because I've I, I, I've dealt with thousands of people. Yeah, I have I, used. Uh, I had an online alias for a long time, which was Zolimon. So perhaps right. I I think that's how we were we were in contact. Right now, now I remember when you contacted me, and. I even remember discussing USI with you when many of us were investing in USI. That's correct. Uh, it was a German bit, Bitcoin opportunity that folded in American Canada. I do remember your story about being a Canadian youth who thought you may have gone to Mars at five. But when we spoke, of course, you may have been recovering your memories. I, I yeah. remember now that there was no discussion of meeting myself or Barack Obama on the surface. Mm-hmm. Now, let me just let me just basically respond to some of the things you've said. Yeah, I hadn't gotten that far in my memory recovery yet. First of all, I was trained with Barry Satoro, and uh, the the individuals we've been able to identify as part of our training class were were five of the ten teenagers, possibly six, and then Bernard Mendez. So we, when I was contacted by William Brett Stillings in spring of 2010. And then by Bernard Mendez in 2011, we were able to identify the three of us, as well as Barry Satoro, who in 1983 changed his name to Barack Obama, Regina Elvira Dugan, who President Obama appointed the first female director and the 19th director of DARPA uh, on July 20th of 2009, and the late William Cameron McCool, who died tragically on February 1st of 2003 while serving as the pilot of Space Shuttle Columbia. There was also a sixth out of ten teenager. We think his name was Eric Schoenfeld, and then he was from San Mateo, California. But so we, so we know who those five were, basically Andy, Brett, Barry, Regina, and Willie, and then Bernard Mendez, who was about 15 years older than the rest of us. We don't know who the other five young people who we were trained with, um, but we think, like I said, that one of them may have been named Eric Schoenfeld, but we've been unable to locate him. Perhaps he's deceased. Now, let me also say that, so we don't know everything about about everybody who served, um, I do know that after we were trained in summer of 1980, and I started going to Mars via jump room in July of 1981, I went up by myself, and then in August of 1981, I went up with Courtney M. Hunt of the CIA. <laughs> know that we went up as a group of six or seven people a couple times with Barack Obama. When he, Again, he was still using the name Barry Satoro. And I know that after I was paired with Courtney Hunt and William Stillings in the 81-82 time period, in 83, I was paired with Barry, as we knew him, Barry Satoro, and Bernard Mendez. But I know to an absolute certainty that I had no contact with anybody younger than William Brett Stillings. Brett was, I, I was born on September 18th of 1961. Barack Obama is 45 days older. He was born on August 4th of 1961. 
Barry Satoro as I knew him. And then Willie McCool, for example, was born on September 23rd of 61, five days after me. And Regina Dugan was about a year and a half younger. She was born on March 19th of 1963. And then William Brett Stillings was born on December 22nd of 66. And when we were in training, he was the only individual, for example, who was too young to drink beer when we would have beer cake parties at night, even parties that our fathers and that uh, Ed Dames would come to up there at, at College of the Siskiyous in Weed, California, where we were trained in summer of 80. And there was a real issue as to whether or not Brett should be serving. But beyond him, an individual five years younger than me, who was 13 when we were trained in summer of 80 and 14 when we started going up in mid-summer of 81, the next summer, I had no contact not only with any children on Mars, but until my nephews began to be born and my brothers, four years after I left the Mars Jump Room program, my, my oldest nephew having been born in 1988, I didn't have contact with any children during that period of my life. I mean, I was going to UCLA. I was writing for the Daily Bruin. I was working for sociologist Ivan Light. Um, I was studying history during the day division. I was studying advanced math during the night division. And I was periodically going over to that El Segundo building and jumping into Mars. And I think between, um, sp between summer of 81 and my last jump in, in May of 1984, I probably went up about 40 times. And, Michael, I'm absolutely certain that I had no contact with children on Mars. Now, when we couple that with the fact that you contacted me several years ago, and I'm literally shocked that it's the same person, mm. you had told me that you had memories of possibly going up to Mars, but you didn't implicate Barack Obama and I, and no, now well, you're mm. running for president. And I have to be honest with you that while it's possible that because we can't prove a negative, you did have contact with Obama, you certainly did not have contact with me on, on Mars. And I have to also kind of add to the mix here that it's my impression that for the most part you've misappropriated my material. And like I said, I wanted to bring other jumpers forward. Now, let me, let me go to the truth of my response to your description you just described going to Mars via jump room, and you talked about going up into the upper atmosphere. But when we were in the jump room building, we never saw the Earth, and we never saw the atmosphere. We never saw the trip to Mars. The jump room was an elevator. It was, this, it was a space elevator. It was the, the, the elevator at the El Segundo building uh, for, on the West Coast. And the East Coast jump room, which was in the CIA headquarters uh, to the left or west side of the George Washington Bridge in New York City. When we were going up to Mars in those two jump rooms, we were in an aeronautical repositioning chamber. In other words, we were within a closed area that doubled or had a dual use as an elevator, for example, in the El Segundo building. We didn't see the atmosphere. We didn't see the Earth from space. We didn't even see Mars on its approach. 
We were in the jump room building the entire time. And you just described going up via jump room and going up into the upper atmosphere and seeing it. And I'm sorry, but that's just not what the experience consisted of. So I really think that we have to explore the possibility that as a result of contacting me several years ago, and I remember you, you were a nice guy, and we had a number of conversations on Skype. I remember you told me how you were a musician. You told me something about your background in America, but that you were living with your wife and child in England. So I'm I'm really shocked. I, I, I didn't know it was you. I did not know that the the individual named Michael McIntosh was the individual who contacted me a number of years ago using a different name. But I'm just saying that I really think we have to explore what you remember because as a matter of first impression, your description of the jump room experience is not accurate. I believe that you may be suffering from a situation where you've listened to my accounts those of Stillings, of Mendez, and White Crow and Johnston, which have now been on the Internet for 10 years, and I think you're possibly experiencing a psychological phenomenon where our experiences have, in your mind, become your experiences. Okay, Andy, let's give Michael a chance to respond to that, okay? So, Michael, what do you think of what Andy's saying? Well, I I certainly appreciate the input. And um, it it definitely is something to consider. It really is. And I mean, I think that if these are real memories that I'm having, it, they happened when I was six years old, the the very first ones. So the the exact details may not be as I'm relating them. If, if you can understand that, I mean, when you were six years old, you, you probably remembered things not entirely as, you, you know, you, you probably have memories from when you were six that aren't entirely as they really were. Um, and especially if they were suppressed or repressed memories, uh, they're definitely going to be fuzzy and there are definitely going to be fuzzy details. But I do believe the overall... I still, right now, despite what you're saying, do believe that the overall uh, account is is accurate and true, and and really did happen. Now, I can understand if, if you, you don't remember, perhaps, or um, you don't. I'm not trying to implicate anybody in anything because I do believe something else that that. Uh, is a detail relating to this whole experience. Um, and that is that I actually gave permission to my, for myself, for my six year old self to be used in this project as an older person. So this is, this is where it gets really interesting when you start thinking about can we give consent for our younger selves in time travel to participate in experiences? Um, but that, I suppose that's a that's a, an issue for the future of time travel legislation. Whenever that gets, let me let me ask a specific okay. question. Sure. And let me, let me just say in prescript, like like I said, I, I I do remember you now, and you were a heck of a nice guy, and I thought I thought you were a brilliant musician. I listened to your music. You may recall. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. And, I appreciate that. 
Yeah, it was. I thought it was very uh, avant-garde and innovative, and I was I was impressed. Well, thank you. Uh, it wasn't my type of music, but I, I realized as a former musician myself, I think I mentioned that to you, that I'd played alto saxophone for eight years, and I thought you had yeah. ability, and I think I, I remember telling you that. So I now realize who I'm dealing with. But um, let, let me just say, to, to sort of countervail what I just said, that I did not work exclusively with Obama or any other jumper. It was very much like college where... You might have class with your friends from the dorms or another class in one particular class and then see them for five or six or ten more classes and then see them again a year later. That's kind of what it was like. It was kind of like serving in the military in that sense that I didn't, I wasn't partnered with any particular person I was trained with, whether it was Stillings or Mendez or Satoro or Dugan, or McCool. I was never exclusively paired with any of them. So I cannot, in fact, I cannot, in fact, discredit the possibility. I cannot deny the possibility that Obama brought you up there. But I certainly didn't, and I do not no, remember I, having contact with Yeah, and I'm not saying you did. I'm not saying that it was you that was responsible for that. And that it was, in fact, Obama who, who brought me up there. But even then, what I'm saying is that Obama was not responsible for my being brought up there, that indeed my future self was responsible for giving permission to bring my six-year-old self up there. Well, well, you did say something interesting, and let me respond to that. You said you might have been brought up there to communicate psychically with the Martians, that's an interesting comment. Janet, let me let me address that. Yeah. Janet and Sash. And, well, that, and, and Mike. Sure. Yeah. Let, me, let me address that because that's very interesting. Yeah. I'm now writing my book about my Mars experiences. I've, I've blocked out 150 chapters. I've completed my book about Pegasus. It's 300 chapters. I've now blocked out the chapters and written about five or six of the chapters for the Mars book. And I've already described to my transcriber, you know, because I've been dealing with vision problems for a couple of years now. Um, and by the way, I don't know if I'll be able to run for president in 2024 unless my vision is improved even more with more surgery. So that's that's uh, more or less a dream right now than a goal. Um, I just wrote the chapter in which I described the fact that one day, Courtney Hunt of the CIA and I were greeted at the mouth of one of the jump rooms. There were about seven or eight around Mars. And we were met by one of the indigenous Martians. They're the ones with the pointy ears and the long faces and the uh, spindly bodies. I've compared them uh, to the appearance of the German actor Max Schrank in the classic German horror film, I believe from 1928, uh, called Nosferatu. They had a very haunted look, not not unlike, uh, I've compared them to the Marty Feldman character, Igor, in the, the Mel Brooks film, Young Frankenstein, they had a very haunt, recondite, quite frankly, a pretty ugly look, at least in the adult males, although their young females and their children were very, had a lot of neoteny and looked like um, attractive young Asians, sort of like Tibetans. But the adult males looked very sickly, to put, to put it kindly. And so Courtney and I were greeted by this sickly adult male, Homo Martis Martis, and basically one of the indigenous Martians. 
And when we were walking behind him, he was walking very quickly across the terrain, away from the jump room, towards his residence, because he wanted to show us his residence. How Courtney Hunt set that up for us, I do not know, because we did not communicate with the guy. There was no language exchange between, you know, verbal language exchange between the three of us when he picked us up to walk over to his residence and show us his residence underground. I had been told that the Homo Martus Martus would occasionally jump one of our astronauts and kill them and eat them, that they were cannibals of us, that they viewed themselves as being a different humanoid species and they could make lunch of us in the same way that the several, uh, the five, well, not several, but five or six predator species could possibly do as well. And as I was walking behind him, I thought, oh, great, he's going to take us to his residence and kill us and eat us. And without saying that, he looked back at me and cackled because he overheard what I had said completely psychically. I did not say a word. And yet this indigenous Martian looked back at me and stopped walking momentarily and looked at me like, like Marty Feldman playing Igor and Young Frankenstein and cackled, laughing at what I had just said to myself. So there, my point here is there was a psychic dimension to the Martian humanoids known as Homo Martus Martus. I did not encounter any psychic uh, back and forth when I met three Martian astronauts of the Homo Martus Terrace species, who are basically our genetic cousins on Mars, being the descendants of the Earthlings who went up there in prehistory, mm. antiquity. But I, I have to be honest, you know, because I, like, I, I, I am a servant of reality and of the truth, and I have to say that at this point, I've changed my opinion because I do remember my conversations with Michael. Uh, I found him to be intelligent and credible when he told me that as a young Canadian, he went to Mars. But then again, while all of us have been working to recover what happened to us, there may be some overlay of material from other claimants. That's another psychological phenomenon that we have to watch for. But I, I wanted to say that I've modified what I thought I was going to accomplish in this interview. I thought I was going to basically be knocking Michael out of the water, and I did not realize the person I was dealing with because of his name change. Um, but I would like to ask a couple of questions to determine whether his memories cohere with the actual experience of going. So let me just say that I'm open-minded now, much more open-minded than I was before this interview. Um, I'm, I'm amenable to discussing this much further with Michael. Um, I remember his intelligent sort of laconic way of talking. I remember our conversations and I really feel that he was just starting to remember when he contacted me two or three years ago. And it sounds like he now remembers more. That is true. That is definitely true. I was just starting to remember because as I said, I had been in a, a really bad car accident and um, I was suffering I all kinds of, that. yeah, I'd been experiencing all kinds of trauma. Yeah, I and, um, that. yeah. Right. and I was trying to, you know, ad- address that by facing, you know, the, the best way to, to overcome something is to face it head on. And, but that's hard if you can't remember everything that you've en- encountered and, and trauma can be 
difficult to to get through if you've been injured. I, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but um, question. I, I'm, I'm sure you have. <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's okay. You're you're gonna you're gonna reroute it. You know, the elephant of reality is grasped at two different places by the two of you. Which one has it by the ball? Don't be a statistic. Don't be part of the problem. 
be part of the solution. We need to ask humans to start taking care of ourselves and not depending on the mega courts to provide unhealthy, nasty food. Included in this package is also a DVD with 900 survival and off-grid living documents on the offline home canning how to do everything website all on the DVD. So when you're growing all that food, you know how to can it, store it, preserve it, etc. with all these documents. So thank you for tuning in to Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. I hope that you will pick up this package and start learning to be free. Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com, where information never sleeps and freedom is one seed that needs to be planted. for tuning in to Revolution Radio. Here at Revolution Radio, we are listener-sponsored and commercial-free. But there still are bills to pay. In order to raise some needed funds to cover the cost, our station is offering a silver special. In the continental United States for a $60 donation, or in Alaska, Hawaii, or Canada for a $70 donation, we will send you an uncirculated 2018 one-ounce pure silver eagle. The $70 donation, uh, the extra 10 is to cover shipping, by the way, outside of the continental United States. When making the donation, you must put Silver Eagle promo in the notes on the donation. And thank you for tuning in to Revolution Radio at revolution.radio and freedomslips.com. Without you, there is no less. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. It happens more often than we can imagine. In my case, I was sitting at home, and out of nowhere, I just started feeling uncomfortable. Then it got worse, and I started perspiring. I tried to ignore it, but I waited too long. The chest pain came as we were driving to the hospital emergency. I felt my life clock begin to tick. I barely survived. There was lots of damage done to my heart. What do I do now? I was lucky. I took a leap of faith and tried a seven-herb formula with hawthorn, garlic, cayenne, and more called Extendivite. Herbs have been used for thousands of years to keep us healthy. If you're not using Extendivite as a preventative supplement, maybe it's time to start. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Extendivite. The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host.
Aloha and welcome back to the Sacred Matrix on Revolution Radio. And I'm your host, Janet Carol Lesson, with my co-host, Dr. Sasha Alex Lesson, producer Thomas Becker, and guests Andrew D. Bishago and Michael McIntosh. And we're connecting the dots and figuring out the riddle. But before we get back, I'd like to remind everybody to please... And somebody please mute. You're making a lot of background noise. To please go over to revolution.radio to the donation button to make a donation because we really need your donations. We got hacked recently. Our chats, we're trying to recover things. We're working triple overtime. And uh, we need donations to help us keep on the air, literally. Okay. Before we went on the break, Sasha was talking. Of course, the music was going. So we don't know what he said. So I'm going to pass the stick to... Uh, Sasha, and then he's going to bring back Andrew and Michael. Sasha, what were you saying okay, when thank the music you. was going? Well, okay, we if, I, if I may, uh, to iterate again, uh, we had reached the point where uh, Andy did not remember any uh, children uh, that he saw on Mars. And uh, as, as uh, they, uh, Michael and he started talking, uh, they realized that they were just perhaps grasping the same uh, elephant of reality. Yeah, and one of them had it by the, by the trunk, and the other had it by the balls. But it was the same elephant, and that's where we we got. So that uh, we find this phenomenon on our program all the time that people start describing their experiences, and they kind of fit other people's, and they resonate off, and suddenly we're getting a bigger picture, like we're putting all these puzzle pictures together, and it's, I think it's totally fascinating. Well, time travel is really a weird thing. Mike, Michael mentioned arriving on Mars in a sub-basement, to, to grossly generalize what he said. And I remember going up to seven or eight different jump room receiving facilities, and all of them were underground. He also gave us a reason of why Obama would have taken him up there, which is that he was a psychically gifted child. And as I described before the break, um, when I had uh, went on a tour with one of the Homo Martis Martis or indigenous Martians with Courtney M. Hunt of the CIA, who was my second Mars training officer, I said to myself, well, how do we know this guy's not going to be eating us? Because we had been told that occasionally they would eat one of our fellow astronauts for dinner, <laughs> you know. Mm. And uh, the, the, this homo martis looked around and cackled at me because he heard, he, he could hear what I had said inside my mind. So there was a psychical dimension of the experience interacting with the Martian. But I would I would like to ask Michael what he remembers of, of specific issues, if I might. If I might ask a few questions of him to see if his experiences... Speak directly, speak directly to to him. To Michael. Michael, I want to know, do you remember on your body before going up? Do you do have I any remember. memories of anything being attached to your body? To my body before going up. Um, not really. I mean, nothing's, nothing clear and, and specific. The reason I ask is that every jumper that I knew... Every jumper mm-hmm. Earth from the El Segundo, California, or the uh, New York, uh, George Washington Bridge area, we would be given a, a pad that was about four by five inches square, full of plastic 
cohesive um, fabric or 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 um, oh, kind of a, a plastic sheet off the back of it, and it had a sticky surface on it, and we would whop it onto the chest of one of our fellow jumpers. I even remember putting it one time on the uh, the diminutive chest of uh, Regina Dugan, and she said, hurry up, because she didn't want me observing her, her, her diminutive breasts while I was helping her put on this device. And after we got the sheet off the back of it, there was a surface, and we would whop that 4 by 5 inch pad onto the chest of a fellow jumper, and that was a device that, that read our body temperature, our heartbeat, and our, resp- our respiratory function. We call it our sticky pad. Do you remember anything being whopped onto your chest like that before being sent up? No, I don't remember anything like that. Because that was de rigueur. Every time before we left Earth, we had to put on our sticky pad. We would always help each other do that. The other thing yeah. I want to ask you is... Oh, wait, wait, what, can we, wait, wait. Did only one of uh, more than uh, a, in a group of people have this for the whole group? That's what it sounded like. So it was no, possible no. that Barack had it, but but not uh, Michael. No, Sash. Every jumper had to install every, this. Every single one of you. Gotcha. We had to pull our shirt down, whether we're male or female, or pull it up. And a fellow jumper would pull the adhesive strip off the back of the pad and then we would slap it onto somebody else's chest so it would stick there. We called them our sticky pads. And they were monitoring our our body temperature, our heartbeat, and our respiration when we were on the surface. So I was wondering if Michael was outfitted by that because even if he was six years old, they would have put it on him to, to monitor his basic biomedical um, status while he was on the surface. You, you know, the, the way we would get that in hypnosis, Michael, is we would let your chest, where the thing would have been slapped upon you, uh, tingle and talk and and really go into the chest and let your chest uh, tell if it has any, you know, uh, explore those memories. That's a great hint. Well, I, I don't remember that. I mean, that's all I'm saying, but it, I'm, I can't say for sure that it didn't happen. That's That's also what I'm saying, because I don't. I mean, uh, you're uh, like I'm saying, like I've been saying, these are memories that, that I of things that I believe happened to me when I was six years old. I'm going to be 45 in uh, in next month, so and for most of my life, this was memory suppressed. Like I couldn't, I literally could not remember this for you know 39 years, 30, 36 years, something like that. Um, now so it's the time is, for you to really remember difficult. more. As you it talk is really to difficult. Andy and us, you will remember more yeah. and more easily, and, and you'll be yeah. able to integrate it into your life easily. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, like, I'm being honest when I say I'm, I'm nervous about being on the air, so it's difficult for me to kind of regress uh, into a, 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 a state where I could actually remember accurately anyway i sort of have to be in a very relaxed environment and and focus i usually Mm -hmm. play some you know uh high frequency recordings to help me meditate better and i'm sure if i do that i could probably figure out what actually happened there more accurately if if anything wonderful thank you so much yeah (laughs) 
If I might ask another question, Michael, who asked you to go? Who asked me? Um, I didn't get their name. <laughs> it was the there was a group of people that came into the school that I was attending the kindergarten class, and it, it was uh, Forest Lawns High School in Calgary, Alberta, which had a kindergarten class in it for some reason, um, and. They came in, they asked my teacher, they came to my, a couple of them came to the classroom door, talked to the teacher for a minute. They looked at me and the teacher asked me to come with her and, uh, go with those two guys. Then they took me in a, in a, an office. I remember this very clearly with another guy who had a, a, a clipboard and a checklist and they asked me some questions. Um, check, 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 check. Everything was seemed okay. And uh, one thing I remember very clearly is they asked me if, if I was Irish, which I am, uh, you know, I, technically I'm Irish because my mom is from Dublin. And uh, I found that to be very interesting. And I, I think that has something to do with the perhaps like genetic predisposition towards certain uh parapsychological abilities that that people of my DNA would have but thinking about it later that's what I think it had to do with but um so everything to them was okay I didn't get any of their names I don't remember any of their names I I barely remember their faces which is uh, sad now I wish I could but you know that's actually yeah it's very interesting very very interesting mm-hmm I've, what I've been is that the seven um, Indic-European root races that were identified by Ignatius Don- Donnelly, the American congressman about what now about 150 years ago, uh, or, or, or almost 150 years ago, um, who wrote the book uh, Atlantis: The Antediluvian World. It looks like the Celtic. Germanic, Slavic, Italic, Greek, Persian, and Indian root races were the ones in the human population that had some Martian admixture genetically. And in our yes. training, and in my jumps, Dinah Elvira Dugan, I believe, was Irish on both sides, and I'm part Irish on my mother's side. Very little, but, but, but Germanic and Slavic and, you know, Italic and so forth. So it's possible they asked Michael whether he was Irish or not to see if he was Celtic um, and hence had some Martian admixture going way back Absolutely in his human ancestors. Right. That's the, long, the long-head Atlanteans preceded uh, the round-heads that came up uh, by, uh, all over the British Isles and all over Western and Northern Europe, uh, and that is, and uh, the, the chronicles that we see is that it was the Atlanteans did indeed occupy uh, Mars too. It's everything you're saying uh, seems so consistently correct. Hmm. In fact, at the time, I didn't even know I was part Irish, but certainly my, I, I well knew that I was of Slavic, Germanic, and Italic ancestry, and that would be another three more of the of the root races that Donnelly identified that we can correlate with Martian ancestry, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. In fact, they were the populations with 
the, pheno- the, the green-eyed, red-haired phenotype. And what do you know? That was possessed by Regina Dugan in spades. She had extremely yeah. brilliant green eyes and oh, red hair. That's, that's what I have, <laughs> red hair and greenish-brownish eyes. Well, that's a thing. I mean, that, that's yeah. a correlation. Let me ask you, um, do you, what kind of tr- did you receive any kind of training before being sent up? Uh, nothing formal. No. I mean, I had informal training because of my, my family, but nothing, nothing in a classroom or facility or anything like that. Um, do you remember any experience with anything that was done to allow you to protect yourself from predators? Do you remember any kind of uh, training to avoid predators? Uh, hmm. I do remember what I, I, when we were out on the surface, I do remember what happened that was, um, I got really angry uh, as a six-year-old and I, I was, I started to get mad. I'm like, what am I doing here? You know, that's what I, and I, I shouted that to the person who was right next to me, which was Obama, as far as I remember. Um, and that's when he said to the other people, we got to get him out of here. And that's when we went back and there were creatures that are there. The other two people that were there were using weapons to shoot at the creatures. I believe they were like laser type weapons, which I've never seen in real life other than in this memory that I'm having. Um, yep. And I was one of them, although I only shot my gun once at a at a rock and a, a, a fresh out of water jumped up out of a, a spring-like um, okay. um, watery um, so, uh, so this is all very interesting. I wonder if it's possible that somehow time travel is involved in all of this and that you possibly don't remember these things because it hasn't yet happened to you in your timeline. Does that make any sense? No, but I, I don't discount the possibility that, <laughs> yeah. that uh, Barry Satoro, who we now know as Barack Obama may have taken you up there because like I said, I mean, I went up a couple times in groups of six or seven or eight with Obama. Mm-hmm. And then much later in the game for me, I was paired with Obama and, and Mendez in a threesome, just as I had been paired with uh, Courtney Hunt and William Stillings in a threesome of of, of, of Mars astronauts. Um, okay. I do have a question of, if I could ask. I, I, I have a question if I could ask you, perhaps. If you sure, there were a number of times when he, I saw him coming in from the far horizon, so he may have dropped you off at another jump room, for all I know. I mean, I'm not discounting your, your claims. Mm. In fact, reformatted my thinking about the possibility that, in fact, you were up there. But I'm saying yeah. that I did run into Obama a few times just in one-off, you know, him coming into a specific jump room. So if he had taken you up in a different jump room, he could have dropped you off in that jump room and then walked over to the one that I was at just because he was told to or because mm-hmm. he wanted to take a different jump room home or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's possible. Cause in other words, there were times I in which Obama and I crossed paths on the surface, and I didn't even know what he was doing, you know, because I had been trained with him, but we were only partnered on a num- on several jumps. Right. 
tremendous. Um, do you do you remember clearly what Courtney Hunt looks like? Yes, Courtney looked very much like the picture of Mike Roman. That picture in the uh, the famous picture from the Ambassador Hotel when Senator Robert F. Kennedy was shot there on June fifth of nineteen sixty eight. Okay. That for many years they believed was a CIA agent, and there was an Irish uh, BBC correspondent, Shane O'Sullivan, who was trying to establish that it was uh, Gordon Campbell of the CIA, and that his friend was George Joannidis, and then it was established that it was Michael Roman, the president of the Bulova Watch Company, mm. and Courtney was virtually identical to Mike Roman in that from the Ambassador Hotel. Wow. Yeah, sure him. Two CIA agents, but then they were positively identified as his colleague. Do you have a picture of Michael Roman that we could see, Andy? Well, uh, here's, a, here's another a picture. Go ahead. I'm sure anybody could find it online. It, it was a famous uh, piece that Shane O'Sullivan of the of the BBC did, trying to establish that the man on the left, the taller man, was Gordon Campbell of. Uh, of the CIA, and it proved to be Michael D. Roman of the Bulova Watch Company. That's the closest that I've been able to find any picture that closely resembles what Courtney Hunt looked like. He looked a little bit like Hunter Thompson, Hunter S. Thompson, uh, okay. a little bit like Richard Helms, CIA, so, sort of Irish, seen, yeah. Scottish huntsman look. You know. Is it... See, okay, this is, well, if, if, if you take a look at what I look like and imagine if I were maybe 20 years older with my hair gone, could that possibly be Courtney Hunt? No, I remember your picture from Skype, and I wouldn't say that you resembled Courtney. Okay. Uh, Courtney, I would say that the celebrity that closest resembled him, I would say, would probably be Hunter S. Dr. Hunter S. Thompson. Mm-hmm. The late great uh, Gonzo journalist, and but but the picture of Michael Roman, Bastar Hotel, the night that Bobby Kennedy was shot there, comes very close to what Courtney looked like at age fifty-one mm-hmm. when I first went up with him in nineteen eighty-one. That's the best I can do because I tried to stay in touch with his kids, but they kind of uh, did not want to be in contact with their dad's colleagues. They, they knew he was a CIA agent. Right. And they wouldn't with giving me a photograph of him. So this I don't is all really have Billings' father. I mean, I've I published good good photographs of my own father who went up once in that May 1984 jump. But uh, Courtney and I went up a lot. He's going to play a major role in my book. I mean, we went up. I would say at least half the times I went up, I went up with Hunt, mm-hmm. both during the day and at nighttime. Now, let me ask you this. Do you remember when you were taken up there, remember any celebrities or VIPs being mentioned? Because there were some pretty distinguished Americans. Oh, oh wait, wait, hey, hey, wait, wait. Can we just go back to this Courtney Hunt thing? Uh, sure. Michael, did you yeah. imply that you uh, thought you might be a time traveler and that you were Courtney Hunt? Is that what you were implying or not? Well, what, well it's, a, it's a theory. I suppose at this point um, that indeed Courtney Hunt was a time traveler mm-hmm. from the future and that 
uh, at this point, he is me. I know that well, sounds... Michael, tell me about your fingers. Are your fingers all normal in their morphology? Uh, are, are there my any anomalies normal? in your... Just a scar, and that's it. Well, Courtney had a a right index finger that had a bulbous end to it. It was long. The finger was longer and had a, a round bulbous end to it that was quite abnormal. Interesting. I don't know how he injured it. Um, now, and another theory that I have is that perhaps with the use of and the aid of advanced technology, perhaps acquired from extraterrestrials, that a person could easily appear to be someone else, uh, present themselves as another person. Or looking at it using a devil's advocate, um, hmm. is it possible that you've so identified with my story that you've even conjectured that you are Courtney Hunt? Because I knew Courtney it, from 1981 to 2001, and I knew him around the time he passed away, around 2005, and there were some anomalies about him traveling in time in the sense that he told me he was born in 1937, and yet when I met him in 1981, he was already 51, indicating that somehow he picked up seven extra years. But, of course, my father picked up eight extra years in quantum displacement, and I picked up about an extra year in Pegasus. So mm -hmm. Courtney was, by, by the way, Courtney was, in addition to my father and I and Ed Dames and William White Crow, Courtney Hunt was one of the few individuals who was both on Project Pegasus and then on the Mars Jump Room program. But I knew Courtney, I mean, I met Courtney when I was a kid on Pegasus. He actually... You were, you were about six, right? It was like 1966? No, I, I started in Pegasus in 1967, 68 when I was six, because I was born in September of 61. Mm. But it, when I was about 10, I, I was sent back by my father from New Mexico via teleportation to tell them that the adults in the program could not jump home via teleportation. They were being knocked back into the, into the lab, and, but kids could get through because they were small but, enough to get through. So somehow the teleporter was mm. malfunctioning. And that but you met, you met, you met Courtney in the mid-60s, is that correct, or, or initially? Well, Courtney, that was around 70, 71. Courtney actually took me inside and didn't listen to me when I got huh. to Curtis Wright, and he put me in the chair in which I was. Um, I had a halo placed over my head, and I was electromagnetically shocked to forget that I had just teleported home from New Mexico. Right. So okay. that was Courtney in his 30s. And then he appeared 10 years later, 30s or 40s, I should say. Then he appeared 10 years later in 1981 mm -hmm. when he was made my second Mars training officer after Ed Dane. And he was born okay. in 37, but it was as if he had been born in 30 because it was 1981 and he was 51. And he and his wife told me that. So mm -hmm. Courtney had only time-traveled. But I think the assertion that you're Courtney from the future is a little bit of a stretch. Well, I'm not. I'm not asserting anything. I'm just, uh, I suppose, speculating and theorizing at this point. Um, 
classic, I've described him as the classic cigarette smoking man from the CIA, maybe the inspiration for the one on, on, on X-Files. He was on a X-Files. smoker and very thin and, and uh, very intelligent, uh, somewhat cynical. He had a kind of a perverse sense of humor. But it was ultimately... Um, Sounds like my kind of guy. ...who was protecting those <laughs> of us as best as they could, just, just as yeah. I was. Um, in fact, Courtney and I had the discussion whether or not we were going to shoot um, one of our fellow jumpers when he got onto the surface and was mentally discombobulated and threatening to other jumpers. We were supposed to basically terminate his life at that point. And it was Hunt and I who decided that we wouldn't. We walked that jumper back to one of the jump rooms and pushed him in and told the technician to, to send him home. And he was rehabilitated re, uh, and then rejoin the program so so uh you know hunt was ultimately a good guy although he was kind of a scary guy as sort of the cigarette smoking guy from the cia but i think the possibility that you're him from the future or something is a bit of a stretch because i knew Do him and his smoke? wife well uh, I you know, does... times. <laughs> lived in chatsworth no, where i did about, uh, michael i, I don't smoke michael, but i could smoke? start I, could, I don't smoke, but I could start. Could if this all ends up being, if this all ends up being what I think it is, then I'm certainly going to start smoking. I'm telling you that. Well, Hunt, Hunt lived in Chatsworth, California, where my family lived when I was going up to Mars. Yeah. And it was years later when I correlated that he was the guy that I had met in Pegasus, and then he confirmed it when I called him, and he, he laughed that I had remembered the whole thing. So mm-hmm. I knew Courtney and his wife Linda. Um, I believe she left him before he passed away and I was in communication with him up to the end of his life up to around 2005 you know for a good 25 years after he was my uh, my comrade on Mars a number of times and actually well, my- anyway can I, the one thing that I want to know is when he gave you that terrible that thing on your head was it pain did he inflict pain on you with that thing well it wasn't Hunt it was Ed Dames who was and, and oh, fact, oh 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 James, again, another individual who served on Pegasus, who then served in the Jump Room program. Oh. Jump Room program. He was always telling me things, even when I was a kid working with him. And I remember that Ed Dames told us, before he put the device on my head in El Segundo, that it was the American reverse-engineered version of the Soviet LIDA machine. That's L-I-D-A. What the LIDA machine was, as developed by the Soviets, is... The device that makes a bunch of racket in your in your head, uh, basically, it sounds like listening to ten hard rock, uh, ten hard rock songs at the same time. And 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 while you're listening to it, you're told to forget what you're thinking about. And and he described how and commence with that every time we would return to El Segundo. So that's what was yeah. used to create this decades of forgetfulness by the Mars jumpers. We figured that out. It was the use of this electronic dissolution of the brain, you know, electronic dissolution of memory device that the U.S. intelligence community had reverse engineered from a Soviet device. I remember Dames telling me that. Wow. Thank you. But Hunt was more or less a trainer and then a jumper. And he was really involved. And it was my impression he had gone up there much earlier. 
Mm-hmm. And and by the way, when I would um, when I would take a, a telecommunications disc up there about ten years before the so-called floppy disks, which are the three and a quarter inch rigid disks, computer disk, about ten years before it came out in the commercial sector in this country, before going pretty much in the eighty three eighty four time frame, I would go over to a printing contractor over in Santa Monica and then drive over to El Segundo and jump up to the uh, to, to the uh, jump room that we called the corkscrew because of its conch shape. And I would then walk about a mile across the surface across this through this dilapidated brick city. That's where I would frequently see either the women or the children of the homo martis martis looking out at me from behind windows and doors inside those buildings in that dilapidated brick city. And I would then give that to a... Uh, a telecommunications expert on the surface. That's one thing I want to ask Michael. When you were up there as a child, did you have contact with anybody that you were transmitting information to? No, the only person that I had any sort of interaction with, and it wasn't even verbal communication, was uh, Barack Obama. Well, you it know, was he just. Did, yeah, he did have that an unusual. And he was from a CIA family. His mother and his grandmother were C- and grandfather were CIA. Mm-hmm. And he is not either American-born or Kenyan-born. He was born in Indonesia. And he was still using the name Barry Satoro. I asked him his name. Mm-hmm. And he was not yet using the name Barack Obama. I didn't learn his name Barack Obama until I ran into him in Los Angeles in a completely different context in summer of 83. Um terms of your memories of interacting with Obama in the Mars Jump Room program. If he was still jumping to Mars, he would have been using the name Barry Satoro. Do you remember him being called Barry? I don't remember any names at all being used by anybody, actually. Well there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of that really. Yeah. Um I think that I I I get the impression though that uh Barry Obama had been informed that the young boy, a.k.a. me, that he had uh, in his company was somehow was going to grow up to be the president, <laughs> Michael McIntosh. Um, this is no, what I've been yeah, I want to cover that. Mm-hmm. I might, I might I, I want to cover that. We've got about half an hour left. Well, here's the thing. I, I, do, I do believe that we're both going to end up being president still. Well, Michael, uh, one interesting thing you said is, of course, that you were an American growing up in Canada. And I would be remiss if I didn't share everything I know or, or corroborate, rather, your experiences. And that is Courtney Hunt made a number of references to the Canadian connection. And I've never yeah. mentioned that well, we know for a fact that, you know, the U.S., Canadian, British, Australian, New Zealand militaries all work in conjunction and have for a long time. Um, good, good. Anybody good. with Network, yeah. Yeah, the five eyes and um, our intelligence communities all cooperate uh, generally. <laughs> in, in the time there from 81 to 84, when I was going up to Mars, he made several veiled references 
to the Canadian connection. And I have never shared that with anybody. I don't even think I mentioned that to you when you called me uh, three years ago or so, or two yeah. years ago, told me about um, the fact that you were an American child growing up in Canada when you went to Mars. Yeah. But I, I've been holding that back, and I must uh, acknowledge that Hunt did use that term, and he never explained it to me. And it could have just been a reference, as you say, to the UK-USA network, but I think it was more something more specific to the Mars Jump Room program. Maybe yeah, with the fact well, there that is we're a, utilizing yeah. young children. Yeah, or there is, um, you know, there are teleportation rooms in Canada as well that are being used by the American government in cooperation and with the full permission probably of the Canadian government. I mean... It's not really much of a secret that the CIA does operate in Canada and has permission to do that, has had permission to do that for a long time. Um, that, you know, I mean, Homeland Security, U.S. Homeland Security is, for instance, covers all of North America, not just the United States. So it's a, there's always been collaboration and cooperation between, especially Canada and the U.S. because, it, you know, it's, it's we share a border, so it's uh, there's mutual interest, mutual security issues, um, mutual military uh, pursuits. And the same goes for the U.K., Australia, New Zealand, other countries, uh, especially in Europe. Michael, how did you find the, the air up there? Uh, if I recall correctly, which I'm, you have me doubting whether I'm recalling correctly, and I'll be completely honest. So I, I appreciate you uh, encouraging uh, skeptical thinking in this because this is how we're going to get to the bottom of things and figure out what the truth really is. Um, that's what I love about the 60s generation. You guys are a bit more skeptical than I am. I'm a naive millennial, you know. <laughs> but uh, um, I found the air to be, I guess, sort of, mo if I recall, sort of moist, a bit heavy, but uh, not unbreathable. Was it difficult to breathe there? Was it difficult? Um, not to me. I mean, it was what I noticed most was the gravity and uh, how how much how easier. Really, how far could you bound with a single normal stride? I didn't. I didn't try to do that. But what I do recall is trying to like lift, you know, push my arms up into the into the air, and it being. It just sort of feeling like I was much, much stronger than I was uh, down here on Earth. So I, I guess that would relate to the gravity difference somehow. Um, Were you given a breathing apparatus before going up? No, none. I remember there being a blue sky, no clouds. What year were you uh, born, Mike? Uh, 1974. Born in 74. Yeah, end of 74. So I'm a 75 model. Think of it like a car. But. 
So let me see if I have my math That's right cute. here. So, so you were about eight when we started going up in 81, right? In summer of 81? Uh, I would have been, I would have been, no, I would have been, let's see, 75, 76, 77, 78, 79, 80. I would have been six. You would have been six in 81? Yeah, uh, about to turn seven in August of 81. Right. Well, I must say that your description of the atmosphere is quite accurate. Mm-hmm. The, eight, the seven or eight jump rooms that I arrived at there in the equatorial region of Mars, and the air was frequently moist and heavy mm-hmm. and somewhat hot. Certainly during the day when we were going up there, it would cool off tremendously at night. That's where we were leaving. Um, and there was a slight lifting sensation because Mars is smaller than Earth, by about, it's about 40% the size of Earth. Now, we should have been able to stride about 7.5 feet with each three-foot normal male stride, and one of the mysteries is we could only stride about four feet. So Mm -hmm. presumably a child would have had the same offset. In other words, if you could stride two feet, let's say, as a child, you should have been able to stride maybe two and a half feet as a child. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, we should have been able to stride much further. And the three is the Earth and Mars are relatively hollow, so that the forty size of Mars does not matter and did not confer a, a you know three x uh, capacity to stride. We could only stride about an extra foot. So as adult males, we could take a uh, or young adult males in my case, we could take about a four-foot stride. But I do remember that sensation in the arms. We did feel a little bit stronger or a little yeah. bit more capable with our physical movements because the gravity differential on Mars allowed it. Yeah, um, that's, what I, that's a clear memory I have as well. Um, consistent. Uh, and... I, the taste of iron, the moisture oh. in the air, a blue sky. I mean, I remember a very clear blue sky with no clouds. I remember. Excuse um, me, guys. We're, yep. we're running out of time here, and I want to interject the things about the future president and how you believe that you're both have been selected as future president. So, Michael, what makes you think that – I put it on the, the site. You have all these future presidents. Where do you get that information and you and you have on your uh, timeline that yeah. Andy's one. So, right. explain that to us, please. Uh, time travel, and I, I I've talked about this before with you. Where, where when I talked about when I was five, yeah, we have new people. So, yeah, we have new people. So, okay. uh, and Andy's not heard it. So, yeah, yeah, start, well, start fresh. I, okay. Well, when I talked to, I talked about it before when I was five. I encountered extraterrestrials, and they took me on a f- fantastic time space travel journey and I got to see I got to visit our current future and look at the historic record and um, after piecing it all together I believe that I know who the next several presidents are and uh, Andy is definitely one of them and, and so am I <laughs> I I don't want to to be president of the United States. I don't want the job, but I mean, if it if it will help the country and help 
pave the way in some way for what Andy and, and other people envision for the future of America, I, I'm, I will absolutely jump at, at, at doing the job. Um, because I, 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 I love everything that Andy is saying and I want to see it happen. Frankly. So what do you, do you know what happens to bring this about? Because you're totally no. unknown except for a couple of radio shows. And yeah, I know well, that Andy's been talking about this for quite a while. He has. So give us a... Well, I think that just given the position that I've found myself in, which is, I mean, I know you guys have never heard of me, but I'm, I'm in a very successful music group. We're a multi-platinum selling band. And um, I think from that standpoint, I actually do have a very large audience and a very large support base. Um, I am more sort of closely aligned with the, uh, I suppose, Republican side of the political aisle. But ultimately, I consider myself like more of a rational centrist, really. And and I don't know. I just see that if if that is going to happen for me, it's it's going to happen sooner rather than later. And um, if it's going to happen for Andy, it's going to happen after certain sort of geopolitical issues and socio-political issues have already been cleared up, so that he can just jump right into what he wants to get done, rather than have to clean up other messes first that are really in the way of what he wants to get done. And, um, and what, just, what is that? What's the, what's the issues that have to be cleared up? Uh, well, I mean, I'm sure you can understand that there are huge security issues relating to the declassification and making public of not just time travel, but teleportation, especially teleportation, because we can't really put teleportation stations all over the planet if we're going to have terrorists who are going to want to teleport bombs here, there, and everywhere and hurt people. We have to understand what we're really dealing with, and that is the fact that we have to proactively engage in the prevention of this type of thing happening before we can make these things publicly available. Um, I don't think it's unsafe to disclose their existence to people, but I think it's unsafe right now and for uh, some time to come to make them publicly available um, until we can really solve the issue, especially relating to terrorism. And that's what I believe my area of expertise is as uh, security and geopolitical matters, getting together with people from different countries and working together to solve our mutual problems that we share at international uh, that, that that different countries share and that international bodies such as the United Nations would like to see resolved. I really, really believe that I could be very effective in reducing or even completely eliminating the, the threat of terrorism. 
before we make this stuff public. And I believe that will be Andy's job. Sorry, I was on mute. And so Andy will be doing the second part. Andy, how do you know that you're going to be president of the United States? What was your source of information? Well, first of all, in a in a multiverse in which if the number of timelines was reduced to 12 point times New Roman, the new, the number itself would stretch for 130 million miles. I don't know that I'm going to be present. What I do know is that when I was serving in Project Pegasus as a child, going back now to the late 60s and early 1970s, when it was detected that I was going to be the pr- primary whistleblower about Project Pegasus, my father and I were traveling each in the second half of 19, summer of 1971 down to a amphitheater at the Sandia National Labs adjacent to the Kirtland Air Force Base, northeast of Albuquerque, New Mexico. And we were being, we were pulling up scenes from my future. And in that experience, as a nine-year-old in summer of 71, I was shown pictures of my presidency. I was shown pictures of my inaugural speech on the steps of the Capitol and giving a White House talks in the East Room, the Rose Garden, etc., like any other president. And then, ten years later, when I was in training for the Mars Jump Room program at College of the Siskiyous in Weed, California, one day William Stillings looked up at Barry Satoro, who we now know as Barack Obama, who got up to, to ask a question of Ed Dames during our break between lectures. And Brett Stillings' father, and Brett, Brett has already gone on the record remembering this, Brett's father said to Brett, Brett, what do you, what, what do you think, or how do you like being in a, uh, a Mars program like this with a future president? And Tom Stillings nodded at the back of Barry Satoro, Barack Obama. And before Brett could answer, my father, who was sitting next to us, thrust two, two fingers into the aisle between my father and my seat and the seats of uh, Brett Stillings and his father, Tom, and looked at, looking at me with his eye twitching, said, two future presidents. And then later during our Mars Jump Room training program, during August, September of 1980, at College of the Siskiyous, my father and I drove Barry Satoro from Weed, California, where College of the Siskiyous is, up to the Hoopa Indian Reservation Airport, which is a small regional airport. So he could take a, uh, a Cessna, actually, very small plane, to the Portland International Airport so he could then fly to Hawaii to visit his grandparents in, uh, on Oahu in Hawaii. That would be Stanley Ann Dunham's parents, Stanley Armour Dunham and Madeline Dunham. And when we were driving back, I, my, I noticed that when we were driving up there, my dad was being very cautious behind the wheel. And so when we were driving back, I said, Dad, is it really true that I, I become president someday? And he said, yeah. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah. He said, Barry becomes president in his late 40s. And he said, you become president in your 60s. 
may recall that when I ran in 2016, knowledge that I did not believe I had a chance of winning. I was just learning the ropes. So I'm not asserting that I, I know I'm going to be president. What I've asserted that a one or more timeline, it was quantum access that on one or more major timelines, I was a future president. I don't discount the possibility that Michael may be one as well. I, I certainly wish him luck. Um, but I'm not asserting that I have to be president or will be president. What I've shared with, just as I shared, for example, the chronovisor images of the flooding of the Supreme Court building in Washington, D.C., what I'm sharing is information that I know quantum accessed by the U.S. intelligence community as a result of DARPA's Project Pegasus, which my father and I served on. So in a similar vein, for example, we ha I've described how we had lunch with both Bushes and George W. Bush, who was then about 24, 25 years old, was going all over that restaurant in New Mexico going, have you heard my daddy and I are going to be president? And then later, we had lunch with a young Bill Clinton who was sitting right next to me when his presidency was discussed. And he said, Bill, how are you doing with the information? So what I've shared is the fact that I saw my presidency and I was told about it 10 years later and that of the future presidents in the last 25, 30 years, I and my father and other people with ties to the U.S. intelligence community knew who George W. Bush, George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, and Barack Obama were because the U.S. government has been quantum accessing the future and identifying future presidents. So I don't really discount the possibility that Michael may be one of them. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what anybody's, you know, one, one of the amazing things in my life is I've known people who have done exceptional things and you never would have known it at the time. I mean, I, I went to high school, for example, with what Kevin Spacey, Mayor Winningham and Val Kilmer. And sure, they were into acting, but we didn't know they were going to become superstars, you know, in Hollywood. And I've had other friends who have done remarkable things. I mean, if you had asked me a couple of years before I did Coast to Coast AM whether I'd become a media personality, I would have probably said no. I was practicing law. So I'm really, I, I cannot judge what Michael is saying. I mean, anybody potentially could become president. I, who am I to say who it's going to be? I'm just sharing the fact that on one or more timelines, my presidency was quantum access. Whether it now will not occur because of my recent problems with my vision, that could be disqualifying. I don't, I don't want to be a visually challenged U.S. president. So maybe it's a matter of the fact that on uh, 15 out of 20 major timelines, they saw my presidency, and that's what we looked at, and that's what my dad was briefed on before he told me in 1980 that Barry and I were future presidents, and Obama did reach the presidency, but maybe I won't because of my vision. I don't know. Um, but I've just shared the fact that this was something discussed with me at around age 10 and again around age 18 uh, when I then transitioned from in a normal life and, into working for the government again. The, the point is, and the reason I've shared it more than any vainglory about becoming president myself is I want the American people to know 
that the U.S. intelligence community, the U.S. government in its inner sanctum, has been operating on a nonlinear basis. That's why CIA agents are so cagey about not saying something that might be overheard by somebody else. Or when you meet them and you talk to them, they're so guarded about what they say. Because the empirical... Hey, guys, we have one minute when we're off the air. So uh, anybody have a chance to say goodbye and final words? Um, We're going to have the music in in like 30 seconds. Uh, On the day after disclosure, they'll be saying, you know what? Bashago and Macintosh were right. <laughs> well, and it's like the Beatles records. There's clues everywhere. It's like yeah. the Paul is dead yeah. clues. There are, there are clues everywhere. There are clues they, everywhere. They'll look back on it and go, oh, duh. Yeah, well, like 300 song clues. <laughs> well, thank you both coming on here. Thank you, Mad Painter Thomas Becker. Thank you, Sasha Alexander. Thank you, listeners. Love and blessings. Aloha. I've just been handed an urgent news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. On the go? Still want to listen? Don't have one of those fancy phones with too many buttons. Don't know what an app is? Or you don't even care? Well, we got you here at Revolution Radio. Now you can dial in 24-7 to listen to our shows. We have a number for Studio A and Studio B. And best of all, it's free. Don't forget, your carrier charges for your cell phone provider may apply, though. So check with your cell provider to make sure. So ready? Here you go. Get a pen. Here's the number. Studio A is 712-432-6958. And Studio B is 716-748-0112. Thank you very much for listening to Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com, the number one listener-supported radio station in the world. Hey, everyone. It's Barbara Jean Lindsay, the Cosmic Oracle. If you have questions about your past lives or future plans, need answers from the cosmos about your love life or career, or just want to keep your finger on the pulse of the planet, check out my show, The Cosmic Oracle, here on Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. Thanks for tuning in to Revolution Radio. Here at Revolution Radio, we are listener-sponsored and commercial-free. But there still are bills to pay. In order to raise some needed funds to cover the cost, our station is offering a silver special. 
in the continental United States for a $60 donation or in Alaska, Hawaii, or Canada for a $70 donation, we will send you an uncirculated 2018 one-ounce pure silver eagle. The $70 donation, uh, the extra 10 is to cover shipping, by the way, outside of the continental United States. When making the donation, you must put Silver Eagle promo in the notes on the donation. And thank you for tuning in to Revolution Radio at revolution.radio and freedomslips.com. Without you, there is no less. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. Looking for a nightcap to fill your listening needs? Come join us on Spaced Out Radio with me, Dave Scott, right here on Revolution Radio. Monday through Friday for three hours a night, starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, we will take you down the supernatural path. From ET contact to the paranormal and all of the spiritual, cryptid, and conspiracy stories in between, you can find us right here on Revolution Radio at spacedoutradio.com, on Twitter 